One of my favourite things about this time of the year is the Great British Bake Off. Some folk were talking about that this morning as we came in to church. Um, It tickles my sense of humour when they do that technical challenge. Uh, So they have to bake something, something perhaps that they've never baked before. Um, And so you see this look of terror on these bakers in the kitchen. And some of them, you can tell, are like really self-confident. They've got to cook some clever swirly croissant or something, right? And some of them won't look anywhere. I know this, I can do it. But that's not normally many of them. The rest of them are looking at what they're doing in sheer panic. And they look around at the other bakers thinking, have I put enough water in the dough? Do I need to bake it for longer? Do I need to prove it for longer? Beads of sweat drip down their brow as they evaluate the options. Maybe I should do it differently. And that just tickles me. Because I just think it's so funny how they look for confidence in everyone else, even though no one else knows what they're doing at all. Um, uh, But it's true, isn't it, that we all look for confidence um, in silly places, don't we? Um, We all look to others to sort of validate us, tell us we're doing things right. Or else, it seems, there are just some who are just super self-confident. And they're just like, I'm all over this. We're in one or or, or the other. Um, We look for confidence in silly places. Now, I think one of the shocks in our Bible passage today is the fact that Paul here doesn't do that. He's not the kind of guy who is looking at the other tables and going, oh, I need to do Christianity differently. He doesn't want to swap out his Christianity. I don't know whether you've noticed about life today uh, that there is just a a huge consumer palette of other so-called Christianities around. I mean, you can get so many different kinds of churches, can't you? So many different ways, it seems, of living the Christian life. And Paul says, I'm not going to pick one of those. You'll see it actually in the first verses of the next chapter. If you look at the beginning of chapter 4, look at what Paul says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't use heart, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. He says, look, there are other ways of doing things, but I'm not going to do them. He doesn't look for confidence thinking, oh, I better do it someone else's way. He's not trying to do that. Um, But neither is he confident in himself, of course. Look at the first verse of our chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Here is a guy in a world where new people turn up. In Corinth in the first century, some new guys have turned up, kind of proclaiming another kind of Christianity. A Christianity that's all about an outward appearance. Do this, do that. And then you'll be a true Christian. But Paul won't do, won't do that. He's got this kind of confidence. And I take it from our passage today, we're supposed to get the kind of confidence that he has here. A confidence says, that says, I'm not going to look to other so-called Christianities, but I'm going to trust what God's given me in his word. I'm going to trust what I've taught and received. I'm not going to feel the need to drop the Christianity I've received. I'm going to be confident in it. So, This morning, four things we're going to see, four ways in which the Apostle Paul is confident that I think should give us confidence in the Christianity that we've received and to not want to look for other options, other options, frankly, that could be false teaching that could lead us away. Okay, so four ways in which Paul is confident that we perhaps might take on for ourselves. Point number one, Paul has confidence here 
with no need for human references. This is verses 1 to 3. Confidence with no need for human references. Uh, Paul's been talking to a church here that is insecure. <laughs> They're not sure really whether they can trust him. And, um, and Paul's been explaining, yes, you can trust me. And, and then look at verse 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves to you? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul says, is, is it like I need to kind of get out a letter of reference? I read what someone else said about me so that you can trust me, that I'm really giving you real Christianity. Do I need to give you references? Do I need to commend myself to you with an official stamp that someone's given me? And, and Paul says, no. No, I don't need to commend myself. I don't need to give you human references. There are people in town waving these references around. I don't need them. If there was a job application form, an apostle of Jesus, and it says, write down your references, Paul would write, I, I could give you some, but I don't need to. I don't need to give you references. He doesn't need human endorsements. To be a real Christian, you don't need someone else to, as it were, endorse you. You don't need human legitimacy to know that you're on the right track and not want to swap for another option. Paul says, I don't need a letter of recommendation from another person because actually he says in here, he's already got a letter of recommendation. Look at verse two. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Paul says, look, I've, just, I've been blessed to be involved in the Lord's work. And God has written, as it were, a letter of recommendation because you've become, Christ, you become Christians. The spirit of God has been at work in your life. So if anyone says, oh, where's your references, Paul? I say, well, look at the churches. Look at what's happened. I don't need to wave something around in town for you to trust me, to have confidence in what I'm doing. The spirit of God has been at work. And Paul reminds them here, he says, look, here's a reference not written with ink, not something that's just a bit of paper. Here's a reference not written on tablets of stone, but written on the heart by the Holy Spirit. He reminds them of the Old Testament story. He reminds them, we've been talking in the service already, about the Ten Commandments. And he reminds the people in the Old Testament, the people of God received the Ten Commandments, okay? It showed them what God was like. It showed them how they could live for him. But actually, in the Old Testament, that story was always a catastrophe. See, try as they might, the Israelites could never live out the law. They failed again and again. And so God, in the Old Testament, promised through his prophets, and you can read about this in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God promised he would make his people able to live for him from the heart. He would put the desire to live for God in people's hearts. He would give them the power to live for him inside them. By his spirit, not something on paper, do this. Something inside with God's power, his spirit. And Paul says, don't you see, that's what's happened. Why on earth do you think you need someone else to tell you you're getting this Christianity business right? Or that I'm getting this Christianity business right? You don't look. 
The spirit of God's at work. It's tempting, isn't it, for us, I think, today to look for human endorsements. Do you find yourself making sure that you say just the right thing in growth group so that people think you're really sound Christian? Maybe there are people in church and you think, I I think they're in the in crowd, they're the people that are really getting the Christianity business right. And so I'll just make sure that I really get to know them and then I'll feel like I'm getting Christianity right. Or maybe you try and get the good impression of the elders or the pastors or whatever. And and you're seeking that human endorsement. You see, Paul says, what is the point of pieces of paper to assure you that God's at work? What we need is the spirit of God to be at work, to know that we're on the right path, that we have true Christianity. Here's a confidence then that Paul has, despite there being impressive preachers around in the town, other options, other bake-off benches he could look at and think, shall I change and do it like that? And he says, no, I don't need to do that. The, spirits of God, the spirit of God is already at work. I don't need anyone's references. That's the kind of confidence Paul has. But he has confidence, number two, look, as well. Confidence with no need for human qualifications. Confidence with no need for human qualifications. This is in verse four to six. Let's look at those verses. Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God's. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul says, look, I'm confident in my Christian ministry. I'm confident in my Christian life. And it's all because of God, such as the confidence we have through Christ. So Paul says, look, here am I, I'm an apostle in the church, but I won't claim any sufficiency in and of myself. So think of a job application form again, okay? Here's the the question. What qualifications, Paul, do you have to proclaim Christ? That's a pretty, pretty important question, pretty big question. And here's what Paul's saying. Oh, writes Paul, um, none. No qualifications. Qualifications to change a person's heart, to show them Christ, get them to trust in Christ. What qualifications do I have for that? Oh, none. Am I sufficient for that on my own? Do I measure up to that kind of task? Could I live out that kind of life, the, the life trusting in Christ on my own? No. Am I sufficient for that? No. Do I have any competency for it? No. Who can do what only God can do? Who can change hearts? Who can say, I can do it all? Only God. We're not up to that task. Only God can make us sufficient to live for him, to speak of him. Paul's point here, we're not supposed to be gurus. We're not supposed to be professional, whiz-kid, supposedly Christians with our, our methods and our qualifications. No, Paul says, this is the ministry of the new covenant. This is the ministry God promised long ago to give his Holy Spirit. It's a ministry not of letters. It's not of the letter. It's not a ministry like someone gives you a copy of the Ten Commandments again, right? And someone says, right, there you go, follow that. Do that, live that out, and maybe follow the way I do it. You hear the allusion to the Pharisees from earlier, can't you? Follow me, I've got this down, watch me. 
and you'll be good with God. It's, the Christian life isn't like that. Paul says, no, that's not how it works. Read the Old Testament. You'll see time and time again, having the law of God, the beautiful law of God, without the spirit of God, it won't do anything. Trying to live without God, it just ends in disaster. It's God's spirit that gives life. So here's Paul, and he's not like the bake-off person in the tent who's super self-confident in and of their own abilities. He's not the one baking on the bench and says, I've got this down. I can do this Christianity stuff all along. I'm sufficient. I can do this, me. I can't do this. I can't make anyone a Christian. I, I, I can't live for God in my own strength. I can't, I'm so, the only qualification for the Christian life is to be totally unqualified for it. God makes us sufficient to live for him, to speak of him, to be a minister of him, as we all are. That's why Paul is confident. God is sufficient for this task. You see, we're getting everything wrong, aren't we, when we think Christianity has much to do with us. Paul says, look inwardly. If you think about your own skills, your abilities, your resources, don't do it. Don't look to your own achievement. Don't look to how you did last week. Paul says, I'm I'm not going to look to those things. I know I'm unqualified. But Christianity's got nothing to do with that. It's about the new covenant ministry. It's about God's spirit being at work. Here then is confidence without qualifications. Here is confidence without qualifications. There was a film a few years ago um, called The King's Speech. Um, In it, you had King George, who had a speech impediment. And he hires this guy called Lionel Logue. Australian chap, and they get to work, and eventually there's a falling out. King George gets very upset because he discovers that Lionel has no formal qualifications in speech therapy. And so there's a falling out, and what turns out to happen is that Lionel's got lots of experience helping people learn to speak. He helped loads of soldiers in World War I learn to speak again after shell shock. And the question becomes, yeah, sure, Lionel helped a load of soldiers, but can he help a king learn to speak? And the whole story is, is, is Lionel qualified to do it? Will he? Will, will the miracle happen? Will the king speak? That's the story. Do you see the difference here? The thing about true Christianity, true Christian ministry is, we know on our own we can't trust God. We know we don't have the sufficiency in and of ourselves. We know that we can't live the Christian life in our own strength. We aren't sufficient, but God is. That's what it's all about. He gives us his Holy Spirit. So you see, you don't need to look at other alternative Christianities, other so-called spiritualities. Oh, do this, live this way. No, you don't need human references. You don't need to look inwardly to methodologies and behaviors and so on to know if you're good enough, if you're really a Christian. Look in on ourselves, we'll just find ourselves crushed, won't we? What we need to know is the spirit of God inside us, God's work, God's sufficiency. Don't think you will be sufficient for a life of Christian service, but know that God is. So here's Paul, and he says, I don't need references, and I don't need qualifications. And he doesn't look to these other flashy so-called Christianities. 
He doesn't look for more outwardly impressive things. And, and why is that? Why isn't he tempted by that? Well, look at the, the third way in which he finds confidence. He finds confidence because he actually doesn't find other more flashy Christianities more impressive. It's actually the ministry he has is far more glorious than anything else. It's far more glorious than anything that's ever come before and far more glorious than anything that would ever come afterwards. So look, uh, point number three here in verses 7 to 11 is this. Paul finds confidence in a ministry of greater glory. Paul finds confidence in a ministry of greater glory. Paul continues here, I guess, to kind of reflect a little bit on Moses. Um, Moses had a ministry that delivered law. And yet ended, ended in death. People had this wonderful, glorious thing, the Ten Commandments. They couldn't live it out. It was a disaster. Uh, but Paul says, look, if you look back at what happened in the Old Testament, okay? You look back on the Moses stuff. When Moses turned up, his ministry was actually full of glory. Look at verse 8. If that ministry came with glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Verse 8. Paul reflects on Moses. So... Uh, walk with me back to back to Moses and to Exodus 33 and 34 in your minds. The Ten Commandments, do you remember, gets destroyed? Do you remember that? Moses comes down Mount Sinai. The people are rebelling. The Ten Commandments gets destroyed. Moses goes back up the mountain and meets with God again. God, will you be gracious with us? Will you go with us? And the Lord is gracious. He gives them the Ten Commandments again, fresh tablets of stone, okay? And God says, I'll go, I'll go with you. I'll be with my people. And Moses catches a glimpse of God. This is remarkable, like the curtails of God. And Moses' face glows, having seen something of the glory of God. And Moses walks down the Mount Sinai, and his face glows. His face is a little mirror, reflects what he's seen of God. That's, a, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And Paul says, that's what that ministry was like. And that ministry just killed. It didn't. It didn't transform anyone. It didn't change anyone. If that's what that was like, glowing face, glowing face of Moses, seeing God, surely the, 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 the ministry of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God, the living presence of God is in you, isn't that more glorious? Why do you need anything else? As it happened when Moses came down the mountain, <laughs> the people of God were actually scared of Moses and his glowing God face, and they... They veiled it. I was going to nick the, the, the dust sheet from the back. But they, they, they got him to chuck a veil over his face. They, here, here was God's presence, right? And you could look at Moses. And you could see that Moses had seen God. You could see that God was going to be with them. You could see something of God's glory. And they just snuffed it out. That ministry came with glory. So surely what we have today with God's spirit in our hearts, surely it is more glorious. If that ministry only condemned people, but Jesus means that we can be made righteous, well, it's more glorious. Look at verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, if what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it, for, for if what was being brought to an end, if, if that which got snuffed out, got veiled, came with glory, well, won't much more... What is permanent, have glory. Moses' face, I suppose, in this image is a bit like a candle being outshone by the sun. That's how much glorious the ministry we have is. 
the, the ministry in the Old Testament was just for Moses. What we have now is for everyone. We can all have the Holy Spirit. And that was a ministry that condemned. This ministry is a ministry that makes us righteous. That ministry was passing. The Holy Spirit that we have, we will, will never be taken from us. It's permanent. It can't be snuffed out or veiled. So, listen, do you see? Glory, 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 glory. You have got something more glorious than what these flashy alternative preachers proclaim. Glory in the Bible is about God being involved. It's about his weightiness. It's about how big he is. Glory is about the fact that when the Lord gets at work, there are, like, there are ripples. There, there, are like, there are like earthquakes. Think of um, the mountain shaking when God stands on it. Think of the world shaking when Jesus is crucified. Think of the world shaking when Jesus rises from the dead. God's foot touches down, it displaces everything, it shakes everything up. And here we have the Holy Spirit given to us by God, displacing sin and death by his very presence. Surely we have something so much more glorious. Do you see any other ministry that prides itself on performance and not on the glorious work of the Spirit? It's not worth having. It's not worth having. Paul has confidence in a ministry of greater glory. Point number three. Point number four. Paul has confidence in a ministry of freedom. Paul has confidence in a ministry of freedom, verses 12 to 18. See, Paul says his ministry is free. It's free from something. It's free, as it were, from that veil. It's free from a kind of blindness. And it's free now for something. Now through the message that we've received of the risen Lord Jesus, we can have access to behold God in a way that we never could otherwise. He keeps, he keeps on with his contrast with Moses. Look at verse 12. Let me read for us. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Feel the confidence again. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Moses put a veil over his face and that glory was brought to an end, wasn't it? But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lays over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Paul uses an analogy here. (laughs) He says, look, in the Old Testament, the people chuck this veil over Moses. They, they, They cut themselves off from the sight of the glory of God. They put a barrier between them and a reflection of God himself. And sure, they had the Ten Commandments. Sure, they had the Scriptures. But there was this barrier there. And Paul says it's like that barrier's basically always been there. They could never really understand the promises concerning Jesus. They were just focused on fulfilling the law, focusing on performance, And they were doing so without ever looking to God. It was like there was this barrier there. They'd snuffed out the presence and the glory of God. That's what the old thing was like. And that's what every ministry that follows, saying, do this, do this, do this. Here's the method. Here's the method. Here's the fancy thing. That's what that's all like. It's veiled. Doesn't see God. But Paul says, look, when you turn to Christ... 
and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, help me, have mercy. When you say, I'm not good enough, when the Spirit of God gets at work in your life, well, that veil is removed. And we can see what we could never see before. We can see that Jesus has lived the life we could never live. That he's died the death that should have been ours. That he's given us life and righteousness. That he's taken away our death completely. That he shares his resurrection with us. All of God's, all of Jesus. You see, this ministry is a freedom to see that. We could never see it before. Go the way of regulations, religion, methodologies, and so on. Impressive outward things. You won't see that weighty work of God in the Lord Jesus on the cross. You won't see it. But here's the the last wonderful implication. Look with me at verse 17 and 18. Paul says here, but here's what's happened. When we trusted God, here's what's happened. We all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says, look, when that idea of performing, when this, this veil, this, this shroud, this, this way of not seeing what the Bible says, when that's removed, we get to see Jesus. And, and Jesus is the perfect man. He is the true image of God. Think of Adam at the beginning of the Bible, supposed to be the image of God, the reflection, like a little mirror, a reflection of what God was like. And no, no human being's ever been it. Adam, Adam was never a perfect human being, a perfect reflection of God. Moses wasn't, David wasn't. We've never had that perfect human being. But Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect man, the perfect mirror of God, showing us God. And like when you see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful piece of art or you experience that unique moment, seeing Jesus truly leaves us changed. It changes us. Seeing the truth of what humanity really should be, (laughs) seeing what God is really like, we'd never be the same again. And this is what we have in the Christianity that we've received. An opportunity to see God reflected in Jesus, in Jesus' human person. Here's freedom. You will not see that anywhere else. Here's an opportunity to be bowled over by the beauty of God and to be beautified by him until one day we're glorified. Do you you want to swap that out? Do people really swap things that are that glorious, that beautiful, that transforming? That's what Paul's confidence is in. That here is now the freedom to see the beauty of God. See, the truth is that, that we don't have to beautify ourselves. We don't have to perform our ways into God's affections. But here is what God does. God loves the unlovely. He loves those who aren't beautiful. And then he beautifies us. And then he makes us beautiful. And so the true ministry, the true Christianity, allows us to see the most beautiful one who has ever lived. And as we encounter him, we are changed by him. You won't find it anywhere else. 
So don't be looking at the other benches. Don't be trading out the Christianity you received. Paul is confident then. And I take it from this passage that we are supposed to adopt some of his confidence in his ministry and in our Christian life and ministry. We are to have confidence in what we receive. Confidence that doesn't come by thinking we've got some good method, thinking that someone's rubber-stamped our Christianity. Confidence that doesn't come from ourselves, ugly self-confidence. Confidence that God is at work. Confident that that ministry of the Holy Spirit really is at work amongst us. And when we have that confidence and security, what joy and delight can come that even actually as things feel very weak, sometimes a little difficult, God's really at work. If we have the confidence that we have God at work in us, well, we won't be crushed by expectations. We won't be afraid of others' opinions. We won't be beating ourselves up. And we won't look down on ourselves because Christianity is not about us, is it? It's about the Lord Jesus and we'll look to him and no one else. And so says Paul, beholding the glory of the Lord will be transformed into that same image, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to lead us in a prayer now. And as we pray, perhaps you might think of how, how you are in, in life, um, living, desiring human endorsement, how you want someone else to approve of your, of your Christian faith, perhaps. Maybe you'd like to think about Um, and evaluate your own reliance on yourself, perhaps, that I can do this Christian business. Or perhaps you'd just like to pray and ask the Lord, can I just see how glorious this ministry is? Can you show me something of the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, um, we just want to confess before you how, how we've looked for confidence in the wrong places so often. And Father, we confess how we've looked to other methods and other so-called Christianities and thought, maybe, maybe I should do it that way when things have been hard. But Father, thank you that the only confidence we need is the confidence that you have done what you have promised, that the Lord Jesus has died for us, that he's been risen for us, and that we've been given his spirit. Father, help us to have confidence in that, not rely on ourselves, not rely on others, not look at other things that supposedly are more flashy, when we have the most glorious ministry and freedom in you. We pray this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.